Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis, your movie trivia and discussion podcast. Please like the Facebook page and leave your comments or questions at facebook.com slash screenfacts. You can also tweet me at Jason Davis Voice or email screenfacts at yahoo.com. Please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes to automatically get new episodes every Wednesday. Well, we are winding down 2015, and we're going out with a bang because today... Literally. Yes. Today, my guest, Tim Donnelly, and I are going to take you through what we think is probably the greatest Christmas movie of all time. No doubt about it. I don't care what anybody says. This is a holiday movie, first and foremost. We, of course, are talking about the 1988 classic. Die Hard. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. I'm glad that you were able to make the time to come in today to record this. Oh, looking forward to talking about this. Very cool. Die Hard starring, of course, Bruce Willis, Bonnie Bedelia, Reginald Vell Johnson, William Atherton, who's, by the way, really good at playing douchebags. Yeah, he had a great string of, uh, <laughs> of douchey roles yeah, in so the let's, 80s. Let's run them down really quick, shall we? All right, so let's see what we got. I got uh, off the top of my head, you got Real Genius. Yes, uh, the, uh, the professor in Real Genius. The professor in Real Genius. Die Hard, of course. Yes. Ghostbusters. How can we forget Ghostbusters? Yes, Dickless. It's true. This man, man has, has no, no dick. dick. Yes. So he's, uh, yeah, really good in this movie as the news reporter. And Alan Rickman in his feature film debut. And what a debut it is. Oh, phenomenal. I, I think it's his best role. I can't picture the movie without him. No, he's awesome. Yeah, as Hans Gruber. <laughs> so <laughs> so interesting, though. Sam Neill had turned down the role. Rickman was cast after producer Joel Silver and director John McTiernan saw him in a performance of the play Dangerous Liaisons. Right. So, uh, of course, he's gone on to a, an enormous career. Yeah, what a terrific and versatile actor. Yeah, he's great. When you think about Bruce Willis, the first thing that doesn't come to mind before Die Hard, right. action star, right? Right. I remember when this, when the movie came out and the poster looked cool and yeah. the previews looked cool, but uh, I was a junior <laughs> in high school and my friends were like, oh, come on, we got to go see this movie. And I said, but really? The guy from Moonlighting? Huh? I know exactly. I didn't. I saw. I didn't want to see this at first because I didn't want to see the guy from Moonlighting run around a building. <laughs> yeah, I think he he surprised a lot of people. Yeah, boy, was I wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I he, don't think I was the only one. No, absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, he was paid what was unheard of at that time five million dollars. Wow, to play John McClane for nineteen. Uh, this movie was came out in nineteen eighty eight. Yeah, it was shot from eighty seven into eighty eight. Right, and a five million paycheck for a guy. Who had a hit television show, right. but wasn't really a proven, uh, you know, Hollywood movie actor. Yeah, exactly. Five million's pretty impressive. I don't, did he even do other movies before this? I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean, there was like Hudson Hawk, but that was after this. Hudson wasn't Hawk it? was after this. When did he do that movie that that kind of tanked with Kim Basinger called Blind Date? It was a Blake Edwards. That was comedy. '87. That was before the. I it actually liked that Die movie. Hard. I, yeah, it's a fun movie. I, I didn't dislike it, but that was probably more what you would expect from Bruce Willis, right? Like a comedy, right, right, right. And, kind of that style of comedy. Yeah. He comes through in a big way in this movie. Oh, yeah. And, and certainly cemented his, uh, his reputation as a movie star with Very this. much so. The poster, the original release poster for the film, didn't actually have Bruce Willis on it. That's right. Just the building. I think for the reasons that we're talking about, the, the producers were just like, yeah, I don't know if Bruce Willis is really going <laughs> right. to sell this movie. They were so. afraid the non-Bruce Willis fans wouldn't come see the movie. Yeah. Again, like the guy from Moonlighting? Nah, <laughs> yeah, I don't exactly. think so. And there were other actors um, considered for the role, too. Not surprisingly. Who else was considered for the role? It was turned down by Robert De Niro. Wow. And the interesting thing is that Bruce Willis had just been turned down to play the Charles Grodin role 
opposite De Niro in Midnight, Midnight Run. Run. Another yeah. great movie. Another a- excellent action comedy. Which I, I probably will want to do a, a podcast for somewhere Might down the road. Might be a future podcast. Yeah, sure. good stuff. Coincidentally, both films open the same day, which is very <laughs> crazy. great. Michael Madsen, Richard Gere, Don Johnson, and Richard Dean Anderson. MacGyver. Also, yeah, MacGyver. Were all considered to play McLean. Nick Nolte, Al Pacino, and Tom Berenger all turned down the role. Wow. So it, it's amazing looking back. You can't picture anybody else but Bruce Willis in the yeah. role of John McClane. And it's pretty obvious he was way down on the list of people to play this yeah. role, man. Yeah. And he still got $5 million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so go figure. But they yeah. probably had to offer $5 because, like, look, nobody wants to do this. So here you go, $5 million. Yeah. It's funny because Tom Berenger... Man, for him to turn down this role, did this come before or after Major League? This was before Major League. Major yeah. League, I think, was 1989. So this would would be between Platoon and Major and League, Major for, League. Tom, yeah. for Tom Berenger. Two, two hits for Tom Berenger. Yeah. So interesting. Who knows what his career would have been like had he done this movie. Right, right. But Nick Nolte back then... Might have worked. I mean, we look at Nick Nolte now, and you know he's kind of broken down, and all we can think of is the mugshot and the whole right, thing. Sadly, but Nick Nolte had Forty Eight Hours. Oh yeah, and the sequel, a well respected and very yeah. popular actor in the nineteen eighties. He's uh, he's great. Yeah, and then of course for the the role of the wife, Bruce Willis had actually recommended personally Bonnie Bedelia for the role. In fact, he rejected a lot of very amazing actresses so Bonnie Bedelia could get the role. Who else was up for the role of Holly McLean? Sally Field, Meryl Streep, Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton, and Glenn Close. Wow. Were each considered for the role. A lot of heavy hitters there. Yeah, I mean. Interesting. Yeah, women that were really in their prime as far as acting. Right. At that time, so. No, Bonnie Bedelia is great in the role. Oh, Uh, it's terrific. uh, Again, you really can't picture anybody else in the role at this point. Yeah. As much of the holiday theme as this movie has, Mm -hmm. I was really surprised. I totally forgot that it was released in the summer. Yeah. It was a summer blockbuster. July 20th, 1988. Yep. I totally don't even remember that. Neither do I. I remember seeing it in the theater and being blown away by it. Oh, of course. It was amazing. Great stuff. Yeah, but summer, it's kind of odd to release a movie that has a Christmas theme in the summertime. Yeah, a, a, a Christmas movie that's uh, really a, a summer popcorn action thriller yeah. blockbuster. Yeah, I mean, they certainly release this kind of a movie around Christmas time. That's not, I mean, you know, for example, the latest Star Wars movie. Right, right. So, who knows? Directed by John McTiernan, uh, who also directed the third installment of the series, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, it came back for Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, Rennie Harlan directed Die Hard 2, and they brought McTiernan back to finish out the uh, the original trilogy. And then, of course, there were more sequels to follow. Yeah, I, I think I saw the fourth one. After that, I, I think I uh, either checked out or just missed it. Yeah, you and me both. I kind of <laughs> checked out after that. The fourth one was okay. The first three are all very good, I think. Yeah, I like the first three. Nothing tops the original, though. No, oh, God, of course not. I think the third one is a close second to the first one. Yeah, the, the second one to me is uh, a little bit more of a style stylistic departure from the first one. It's definitely got Rennie Harlan's fingerprints all over it, but the third one, like you said, kind of a return to the style and the feel of the first one. And plus you add Samuel L. Jackson, and you can't go wrong there. Bruce Willis was quoted in an interview at some point as saying, all I can say about the third Die Hard movie is, thank God for Sam Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's great. Yeah, Zeus. And John McTiernan, he also directed The Hunt for Red October and, uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger films Predator and The Last Action Hero. Yeah, he's no stranger to good action flicks. Yeah. You know, Last Action Hero, really quick aside for that, that's a movie that I really enjoyed. Yeah, I, I, didn't, a lot di- of, I didn't dislike it. Yeah, a lot, it got panned. Yeah, and it got panned, but... I think it's fun that Schwarzenegger makes fun of himself in yeah, the movie. Yeah, Good stuff. The screenplay written by Jeb Stewart and Stephen E. D'Souza from the novel Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe. Right. 
Clint Eastwood originally owned the rights to the novel. Lucky for us, his plan to star in the film in the early 1980s didn't work out. Yeah, would have been a much, much different movie, I think, if Clint Eastwood yeah. was uh, was the star of it. Much like Beverly Hills Cop would have been much different if Stallone had starred in it yes. instead of Eddie Murphy. Yes. And, you know, for all we know, it probably would have been, uh, everything would have been different with both of those movies. Not just because yeah. of the stars, but maybe the scripts were even different. Yeah, it could like be. Uh, John John McTiernan, the director of Die Hard, said that he definitely wanted to make a, a lighter movie. When the script was presented to him, he didn't want to make another movie of, of terrorists and bad people doing consistently bad things. He wanted to instill an element, and the word he used was joy. He wanted to put some some joy and some comedy and some humor in the film. So again, if Clint Eastwood is in this role, uh, can you do that? I mean, Bruce Willis, he's got the smart ass, he's got the smirk, he's got the comedy chops. That's really the main element that Bruce Willis brings to the role that makes it work so well. Yeah. Is that he has that kind of smart ass swagger about him. Sure. Which was what makes John McClane so likable. Of course. And he's got an everyman quality to him. Yeah. He's kind of like this all American, uh, you know, he cries, he hurts. He bleeds. Uh, he has regrets. He really is just this this human, all American guy that we can relate to. He's not this invincible kind of hero. The fact that he sits in the front seat with Argyle, yes, is supposed to reflect the fact that he's a regular guy. Right. He doesn't think he, you know, he's any better than Argyle. When they have the little conversation in the airport, there he says, All right, "So, so what do we do? It's my first time uh, driving a limo." And he goes, "That's okay. It's my first time riding in one." And so they both sit up front together to establish the fact that he's just. They're equals, and John McLean is a good, solid guy. Yeah, and I love that when you see him, when he's washing up in the office, you see that he's got some miles on him, too. He's got oh, the yeah. scar on his shoulder. Yeah, he looks like he's taking some on... gunshot yep. or something. Yep. So you, you know that he's got some stories, you know, yeah. before all this happens. Sure. Which is pretty cool. So filmed uh, from November 1987 to March of 1988. Estimated budget of $28 million. Domestic gross $83 million. Worldwide, it made $140.7 million. Nice. If you were going to say, what's the greatest action movie of all time? Certainly Die Hard is yeah, in the argument. Die Hard is on my short list. And it holds up amazingly. Oh, God. All these so years good. later, man. Yeah. I still get a thrill watching this. So much fun. I can't think of too many other action movies that just come to mind immediately when you say action. Oh, yeah. And it's a testament to Die Hard that from that point forward, almost every other action movie that took place afterward was compared to Die Hard. It's like, oh, this yeah. is Die Hard on a plane. This is Die Hard on a boat. <laughs> this is Die Hard on a... Yeah. Nakatomi Tower is actually the headquarters of 20th Century Fox. Fox building. Yeah, which is kind of cool. I was on a road trip throughout the Southwest, and one of my stops was in Los Angeles just to kind of see some of the Hollywood movie sites. And I drove to Nakatomi Plaza. Okay. And this was two years after September 11th, and there was definitely a heightened sense of security at major buildings. And so I'm in my little car, (laughs) and I'm driving around the plaza there, and I see the guy, the security guard, he's kind of eyeing me. Uh Uh-oh. He comes out, tells me to stop the car, and he asks what I'm doing there. And I said, look, man, this may sound kind of weird, but I'm a huge movie buff. I love Die Hard. I just wanted to see the building that was Nakatomi Plaza. And he started to laugh. He goes, yeah, we, we, we get that a lot. He said, <laughs> he said, I'll let you do a couple more laps, and you can get out and walk around a little bit. But you know, like, you got five minutes, and then I got to kick you out. Yeah. I said, no problem, man. Thank you. Thank you. It was cool. That's very cool. That's very cool. And the funny thing is that they the company charged itself rent for the use of the building. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only in tax, Hollywood. I love it. It's a tax write-up. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Another cool thing, and you may even notice this when you're watching the movie with surround sound, they used extra loud blanks yes. for the movie to, yes. to make it hyper real. The they, they sound, really wanted, yeah, the sound yeah. effects in this movie are almost a character uh, in and of themselves. 
Yeah, John McTiernan really wanted it to be in your face and, and just really yeah. grab you, uh, all your senses. Yes. I read somewhere that they, they took guns to a gun range and just had a field day shooting off all these different types of guns <laughs> and rifles because most of the sound effects that they have uh, in stock were from the 50s and 60s. Okay. So rather than re-looping all these old, badly recorded gunshots, they completely uh, recreated a brand new gun sound inventory that's very just cool. for this movie very cool that's like putting your own personal stamp on something that's been done a million yep. times before exactly what john mctiernan wanted like you just said yeah it's great unfortunately for bruce willis the scene where he's underneath the table and he and he kills the one thanks for the advice yeah yeah exactly he actually lost two-thirds of his hearing wow. permanently because the, the things were so loud. Oh my, that, that's right. If you think about the scene, I mean, the yeah. gun is pretty much it's up, right. up, up to his face yeah. as he's shooting upwards through the table. Yeah. Wow. That's a big price to pay for a movie. You but suffer for your art, I guess. Yes. It's crazy, though. Only a couple of the actors who played the German thieves were actually German. Jawohl. Yeah, and a couple more spoke broken German. The actors were cast for their menacing appearances as opposed to their ability to speak German. <laughs> right. Um, Nine of the 12 were over six feet tall. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. Wow. You get these, these over six foot uh, Aryan guys. Yeah. It's funny uh, because Alan Rickman said that when they were fitting him for a costume, they were going to put him in a, a kind of a similar garb to what the other terrorists were wearing. But he kind of looked at the production team and he went, all these guys are at least a foot taller than I am. Right. I'm going to look ridiculous. I'm going to look <laughs> wimpy. I'm going to look like I don't belong. Um, what if we put Hans Gruber in a nice, really fancy tailored suit because right. he thinks he's this educated, cultured, classy guy, very arrogant and full of himself. And I just think that that would make more sense for the character. And they agreed. Yeah. And that was a scene in the movie, too, where he uh, compliments uh, Takagi, Takagi on his suit. Yeah, nice suit. <laughs> yeah, I, have one yeah. my, I have one myself. Yeah. John Phillips, London. I have two myself. Yeah. Rumor has it, Arafat buys his there. Yeah, exactly. He's trying to. I love how he's trying to. You know, oh look at me. I'm all cultured. Meanwhile, I'm a common thief. <laughs> right. Right. You're actually, nothing. actually, you're not a common. Actually, thief. I'm an exceptional thief. <laughs> and right. since I'm moving up to kidnapping, you should be more polite. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I got you, brother. I got you. <laughs> There's so many great moments in this movie. The scene where Gruber and McLean meet each other for the first time face to face. Yeah. Where they're up on the roof. That was actually inserted into the script after they realized that Alan Rickman was really good at mimicking American accents. Right. He was just kind of fooling around on set yeah. one day, I think, doing voices. Yeah. And they're like, wow, he can really do a great American accent. So we got to have them meet up somehow. Yeah, we have to We have to get that in the film somehow. Right. And that's really um, a cool scene in the movie where, when they first meet. Right. And that, by the way, was completely unrehearsed. They wanted to have uh, a lot of spontaneity yeah. between the two, which yeah. is very cool, too. Yep. And then the, the, the problem came up is, well, McLean saw him shoot Takagi. Right. So McLean would know who this is, and why wouldn't McLean just kill him when he met him? And lucky for them, the scene where, where they meet up on the roof and he says, I'm Clay, Bill Clay, mm -hmm. that, was, that sequence was shot before they shot uh, the death of Takagi. Okay. So when they shot the death of Takagi the next day, oh, okay. they moved the camera and like a table and a chair in a certain right. way that from Willis's point of view, all he could see was someone pointing a gun at Takagi. Right. He couldn't exactly see who was shooting it. And then it makes sense. Hart Bachner. <laughs> <laughs> who had the cast and crew cracking up with, what, with what he was doing with the role. Quick trivia note about Hart Bachner. He directed PCU. 
Yeah. <laughs> a, a comedy movie uh, that stars uh, Jeremy Piven. 1994, I think. Yeah. It's a, it's like kind of like Animal House Light. Yeah. yeah. Very funny movie. I, I love that movie, too. It's very I liked funny. It. I liked it a lot. But yeah, that's a little aside about Hart Bachner. But he plays Ellis in the movie. Yep. Which, you know, the character is so... Uh, <laughs> Just such a tool. So totally. Such a tool. And you know the guys like that exist in the world, too. Of, cor- even, of course Even today, do. probably. Yeah. Great line where he's in the office uh, doing cocaine. He walks by. John McClane <laughs> looks at him and goes, you missed some. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love but Takagi says to him in that same scene he says uh this is Holly's husband, her police officer right. husband. Police officer husband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hint hint. Yeah, exactly. Hart Bachner is the son of actor Lloyd Bachner, who co-starred with Frank Sinatra in 1968's The Detective. Ah. The Detective is based on the novel by author Roderick Thorpe. Okay. Die Hard is based on Thorpe's novel Nothing Lasts Forever, which I mentioned before. Right. The sequel to the detective. See? See how it all, all comes full circle. So it, I love when stuff like that happens. Completely coincidental. But, Great um, stuff. The line where he says, Hans, Bubby. <laughs> I'm your white knight. Yeah, that was ad-libbed. And Alan Rickman was kind of, the. it's a genuine quizzical reaction. Yeah, he was like, what is this guy talking about? You know, it's, it's funny. You should say that, that that line was ad-libbed by Hart Bachner. And you just mentioned a minute ago that he directed the comedy PCU. Right. I remember hearing an interview with Jeremy Piven who said that he didn't really get along with Hart Bachner because Hart Bachner insisted that Jeremy Piven stick to the script. Interesting. And nothing but the script in PCU. I've heard a lot of things about Jeremy Piven over the years. And mm. I don't want to get too far off track here. Sure, sure. But I, I hear he's a real pain in the ass to work with. I have heard the same. So another kind of uh, strange thing that happened with the movie too, Alan Rickman apparently was not used to handling guns right. with his acting. Right. You know, he, he didn't really have a lot of experience you know, working with guns or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So anytime he would shoot a gun, he would flinch. Sort of a weird thing that he had. If you look closely, you can see it in the movie. Yeah. They, they did a lot of cuts away from his face when he would fire guns for that reason because they, they didn't want to have this, you know, this supposed to... He's this badass. Right. But oh, when he fires a gun, it's kind of... <laughs> Bang. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah oh. the noise and the, and the muzzle flash. <laughs> right. Uh, yippee Kaye, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the iconic line, one of a few iconic lines from the movie. Yeah, there's a lot of great ones. That line, the yippee Kaye, motherfucker, is actually used in all five Die Hard movies. Yes, it is. I guess it's it's kind of a thing that uh, you have to go back to. Yeah. To, to, to stamp Die Hard on of the movie. Of course. It's like going to a Schwarzenegger movie and <laughs> you, you, you got to hear him say, I'll be back. Right. <laughs> get down. Get down. Get down. I'll be back. <laughs> get to the chopper. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Focus. Die Hard. Focus, okay. I'm focus. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, when McLean runs through the glass, you know, with his bare feet. Yes. Bruce Willis is actually wearing special rubber shoes. Mm-hmm. That are supposed to look like his that own look feet. look like his feet. And I looked really carefully after reading this. I couldn't see them in that scene when he's running through the glass because everything kind of happens really fast. Right. But there's a part of the scene where he's on the roof after that scene where he's trying to get all the, the people, all the hostages off the roof. Yeah, right. And he starts shooting on top yeah. of the roof. And did, then you, he, did you look for it? I, I did. I did. I looked for did it. Did you see it? You can see it. Yeah. yeah. You can see that they're fake feet. Yeah. It's like he's wearing uh, socks that look like feet. Right. And right. you can kind of see the seam. But honestly, if you're not looking for it, it is it's real easy to miss. Yeah. But it's kinda cool when you you know, you know the look for it and you it go, is Oh, there it is. Cool. <laughs> I think you can see it also. I'm, I might be wrong about this. I forget the name. It's the first terrorist that he kills. Um the tall guy with Mar- the blonde. Marco, hair. I Mark, think. Mark when he when he kills yeah. Marco and they fall out a door and they kinda tumble backwards mm-hmm. down a little thing of stairs, and I guess Marco breaks his neck. Right. 
in that scene when they land at the bottom of the stairs, I think you can kind of see that the the feet are fake. A little funky. Okay. Whoever whoever the stunt man is or, or okay. like that. Yeah, that's that's the part where he says nine million terrorists in the world. And I got to kill one with feet smaller than my sister. <laughs> or six yeah. million, whatever it is. Yeah, he pulls out the cigarettes. He goes, "Oh, these are very bad for you." <laughs> I love it. These are very bad for you. He's dead. <laughs> Another one of my favorite lines, you were saying, uh, toward the end of the movie when he runs up to the roof to yeah. try to get all the hostages off, yeah. and those douchebag FBI guys yeah. start shooting at him, Bruce Willis jumps off and he yells, I'm on your side, you assholes! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, that line, it kills me every time. I love yeah, it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you can understand why they're firing at him. He's got <laughs> right. a gun, he's waving in the air, he's firing. Right. It's just I love it. nonstop. It's yeah, just amazing. It's, it's great stuff, man. They shot all of his scenes, or most of his scenes, at night, too. Yeah. Because he was so busy shooting Moonlighting during the day, yeah, that the only time they could really get him on set for Die Hard was was at night. So and, yeah, and sometimes uh, in scenes where Bruce Willis appears to be talking to someone, sometimes those scenes were shot separately. Yeah, and Bruce Willis wasn't even there. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, the fact that he was so tired from from his schedule really allowed the screenwriter to beef up the roles for some of the secondary characters: uh, Al Powell, yeah. Ellis, Argyle. Uh, and Thornburg, the, the news guy. You that, know, that's a good thing, I think, that yeah. serves the movie overall much Absolutely. Better. So, uh, ironically, Bruce Willis, who Gruber mocks for being an all-American hero, is actually more German than most of the villains in that's the movie. That's right. Bruce Willis was born in West Germany to an American father and a German mother. <laughs> yes. More German than most of the terrorists. Yeah, which is, which is pretty funny. Interesting. The nude centerfold that John McClane uses as a point of reference when he's, you know, kind of making his way through the elevator shaft and yes, all that. Yes, he does. That is November 1987 Playboy Playmate Pamela Stein, if you are keeping score. I love when he uh, when he re- <laughs> re- returns to it as, yeah. as a point of reference. He puts his hand and he goes, girls, there's a little musical kind of bendy note. There's a little <laughs> boom. <laughs> I missed that. Yeah. The Great. second time he 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 walks back, he goes, "Girls, there's a little bing, little little bendy note that was put in as a as a point of humor." It kind of reminds me of the uh, Home Sweet Home video too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really reaching here, so so take the journey with me, guys. Yeah, we're stuck in the '80s. What can I tell you? Yeah, so so take the journey with me. The Motley Crue Home Sweet Home video, if mm-hmm. you're familiar, and I know that that at least one person listening to this podcast is familiar. <laughs> you gotta be. Blazer. Anyway, so yeah, so there's a part of that video where they show uh, Motley Crue backstage and Vince Neil is on his way to walk into the stage, I guess, and he plants a, a little finger kiss on uh, Lisa Hartman. Yep. So it's kind of, I mean, she's not naked, but she's close. <laughs> close to naked. Might as well be. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Got a little <laughs> sidetrack there. Bring it back. Bring it back. Okay. So uh, when, when Al Powell circles the Nakatomi parking lot, McLean says, who's driving this car? Stevie Wonder? Yeah, yeah. So when Argyle is waiting in the limo parked in the garage, Skeletons by Stevie Wonder is playing on the stage. That's right, listening to a Stevie Wonder tune. <laughs> and speaking of tunes, the Christmas music. Don't you have any Christmas music? This is Christmas music. Yes. The song they're listening to on the way in, a classic by Run DMC called uh, Christmas in Hollis. Yes. Christmas in Hollis, Queens, which appeared on a compilation Christmas CD. Okay. In the 1980s, it's got Keith Haring artwork on the cover of the A disc. very special Christmas. Yes, thank you. That's, that's it. A to, very benefit, s- to benefit the Special Olympics. To benefit the Special Olympics, that's right. Uh, Run DMC's Christmas in Hollis, I think, is the only original song on the disc. Oh, okay. Everybody else did covers. Okay. And they asked Run DMC to you know make a, a hip-hop contribution, and they said, well, we don't sing, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess we'll write something for it, and the result was uh, was Christmas in Hollis. So when asked how he's doing while repairing his bleeding feet after running through glass, John McClane says to uh, to Powell, "All things being equal, I'd rather be in, rather Philadelphia. Be in Philadelphia." 
Unbeknownst to me, that is a famous quote of W.C. Fields. Yeah. Yeah. Roger Ebert, who was a critic that most of the time I agreed with mm-hmm. when I read his reviews, was one of the few critics who actually gave this movie a negative review. And the main reason why he gave it a negative review is because he hated, uh, was it, Dwayne T. Robinson. <laughs> and I am in charge. You're in charge. From up here, it doesn't look like you're in charge of jack shit. <laughs> Not the one who got butt fucked on TV. <laughs> that's one. Of, that's one of the uh, one of my favorite lines that I actually made a note of. Uh, yes, because I wanted yeah. to talk about it. Great. And so and what funny. makes that even funnier is Argyle. Yeah. In the limo yes. is listening on the police scanner, yeah. and Argyle loses his shit. Yeah. He's he, like, oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. He totally reacts. Roger Ebert just thought that the character was uh, was useless and and totally didn't do anything. Yeah. And, and kind of unnecessary. And I I have to disagree with Roger Ebert. It's one of those other characters on the periphery. I think that provides a little comic relief. Agreed. And how um, the authority figures in this movie are generally kind of clueless. Yeah. Whether it's uh, Dwayne Robinson <laughs> or the... Um, the I Agents guess, Johnson and Johnson. Agents, um, <laughs> Special Agent Johnson, Special Agent Johnson, no relation. <laughs> In the credits, those guys are listed as Big Johnson and Little, Little Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. It's funny. But yeah, just like uh, William Atherton made a career out of playing douchebags, Paul Gleason is always uh, like the the authority figure that's really clueless. Right. And just real quick, uh, in addition to this movie, of course, he's the the teacher or principal in the Breakfast he's Club. He's principal in the Breakfast Club. Yep. And uh, and also in Trading Places, he's Beaks. Clarence yes, Beaks. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> A great character actor, but R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> so the shot where um, the climax of the film where Gruber falls from the top of the building. Alan Rickman was falling from a 21-foot-high model. They really had him rigged up there. Yeah, so he was holding onto a stuntman and falling onto an airbag. Now, right. to get the reaction, the kind of surprise look, the stuntman dropped him on the count of two instead of three. Yeah, and you see so, it. The, the reaction yeah. on on his face in the movie, that that's not acting. Yeah, that's the real deal. He wasn't expecting to be dropped on the count of two. Yeah, that is such a great scene. It's funny because there's foreshadowing earlier... When, when Ellis, in the movie where Ellis says, oh, show him the, the watch, watch you got. Yeah, show him the watch. You know, it's a Rolex. And we never do see the watch. Right. <laughs> we Until. See, yeah, but we don't actually see it. You just see him unhook it. You see from, him unhooking it from, uh, yeah. from her wrist. Yeah. Which is great. Gee, I sure hope that's not one of the hostages. <laughs> <laughs> Again, if you're keeping score, the film has an on-screen body count of 21. Wow. So let's, let's run them down really quick in order. Okay, so in order, <laughs> you got... Both Nakatomi security guards mm-hmm. from the from the very beginning. Right, when they're doing the uh, the play-by-play of the Lakers game. That's right. Magic <laughs> is just a worthy, oh, score, two yeah. points, yeah, yeah, or yeah. something yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> Takagi. Takagi. Uh, Tony. Mm-hmm. Heinrich. Uh-huh. Marco. Uh-huh. James and Alexander. Both blown up at the same time. Both blown up at the same time right. when he sends, uh, uh, take this under advisement, jerkweed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. Uh, Ellis. Right, Ellis. What am I, a uh, method actor Method actor, Hans, Bubby, put away the guns. <laughs> this is radio, not television. television. <laughs> and after Ellis, uh, Franco, mm-hmm. Fritz, Uli, uh-huh. uh, both Big Johnson and Little Johnson. <laughs> and the four other guys on the chopper. Four other guys in the chopper, yeah. <laughs> Eddie, Hans, and Carl. And Carl. Yeah. Comes he wanted the, the classic of the, uh, the bad guy that you think is dead. Right, 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 right. Powell shoots Carl five times, too, right. if you're keeping score. Keeping score For yeah. those of you keeping score. Because, yeah. you know, sometimes people like want to know about that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's yeah. trivia. <laughs> yes, it is. And that's part of the reason why you listen to this podcast. Yeah. And there's actually a cool thing about the music, even, that, that happens when Powell shoots Carl at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. It was actually an unused track from yeah. James Horner's Academy Award-nominated score for yes, Aliens. An outtake from Aliens. Both Die Hard and Aliens are 20th Century Fox movies. Right. Uh, but James Horner doesn't do the music yeah. for Die Hard. Michael Kamen 
Yes. Does the music for Die Hard. Okay. And speaking of of music, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, the director John McTiernan really wanted to to kind of weave a thread of joy, and I'm using the word that he used to describe it. He wanted to uh, to put a little joy and a little comedy in the movie. So if you notice, Beethoven's Ode to Joy. Yes. Runs through the movie. Whether it's played outright or at various points in the film, characters are kind of humming it mm-hmm. to themselves. It's almost like the theme song for the thieves. Yes. When we when we do these podcasts together, we usually end up watching the movie separately. Yes. Because uh, we have different ways of doing it. Right. And we may have even said this before, but really quick. I like just watching the movie again. Because mm-hmm. even though I've seen the movie before, I just like watching it. I like experiencing the movie and then talking about it. Sure. Your approach is a little different. A little bit. I like to watch it with the director's commentary on. And sometimes the movies will also have a trivia track that you can watch in Mm -hmm. subtitles at the bottom of the screen just to clue me into things that uh, maybe I'm missing. Right. And provide a little bit more insight and depth to my viewing experience. Since we watch this movie differently, Mm -hmm. maybe there's things that you either heard or saw when you watched that I missed. The interior of the Nakatomi building is really a replication of architect Frank Lloyd Wright's Falling Water because I think the producer of the film, Joel Silver, is a big Frank Lloyd Wright fan. Okay. And so the interior is designed to look like that on purpose. What a cool, the building and all the stuff. Yes. Very cool. I mean, especially when you look back, I mean, not just the architecture, but the the touchscreen. Yeah. 1988. That's, I mean, now that's everywhere. Yeah, now it's everywhere. It's cool, In 1988, kind of uh, ahead of its time. Like what he says, cute toy, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> really quick about that, yeah, too. Yeah. The name Gennaro is spelled differently on that screen than it is on her office door. One of the other things I picked up on is that when the terrorists slash thieves are first entering the building, most of them are coming in on a, on a big green truck right. that says Pacific Courier mm-hmm. on the side. And oddly enough, Pacific Courier means messenger of peace. <laughs> there you go. And the production designer and the director of photography, the director of photography for this movie is uh, Jan DeBont, mm-hmm. who would go on to become a great action director in his own right, uh, starting with 1994 Speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, a truck saying Pacific Courier is also in speed. Oh, cool. Kind of a little in-joke that runs through nice. both, both of the movies. And I think and there might even be a Pacific Courier truck in Die Hard with a Vengeance also. Okay. Yeah, I think in-joke. there is. Yeah. And uh, and they're all 20th Century Fox movies, yes, too. Yes, all 20th Century Fox. Yep. Interesting, interesting. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Of course, you can't talk about Die Hard, the scene when he's in the, the air vent. Yes. Come out to the coast. We'll get, get together. together we'll have, have a few, few laughs. laughs. What does he say? Now I know what a TV dinner feels like. I know like. what a TV dinner feels like, yeah. <laughs> You know, only Bruce Willis can pull that off. Just with kind yeah. of kind of like a, a little smart ass smirk and a wink in his eye. By the way, that's another thing. You know, if they had a big action guy in this movie, that scene wouldn't work. No, and you're not putting Schwarzenegger in an air vent. Of course you know? not. And completely contrary to to the spirit of the film and what the director is trying to accomplish. Just, you know, kind of an everyman. Another one of the scenes that I really like is when he's on the roof and he calls 911 on the on the radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the emergency line, the supervisor's like, you know, attention, whoever you are, this channel is reserved for emergency calls only. No fucking shit, lady. This is the like I'm ordering a <laughs> I'm pizza. Ordering a pizza. <laughs> After Alexander Gudinoff, who plays Carl, they miss the opportunity to kill John McClane. So he comes back down. They retrieve the detonators. Uh, Carl smashes a table because he's pissed off. And one of the coworkers <laughs> says, oh, God, that man looks really pissed and automatically Holly Gennaro knows that he's, he's, he's still alive because what only John can drive somebody that you know? if, you, if you're married or you've been married you get that you get why that line is funny yeah and she actually has a couple of uh, good little zingers the, the part where, where um, 
She comes into the office and she's yeah, talking to Gruber. Idiot. Yeah, yeah, and she says, "I have a request. Uh, what idiot put you in charge?" And she goes, "You did. You, when did. you murdered my when boss. You murdered my boss." And, he, and it, when she says, "You did," he kind of looks up and goes, "How dare you?" you right, know? right. But now, there's also uh, kind of a, a, a mutual respect yeah. going on there because before she leaves the office, Hans looks at her and goes, "Mr. Takagi chose his people well." That's true. That's true. But I like how she says, "Now everybody's looking to me personally. I'd pass on the job. I don't enjoy, enjoy being, being this close, close to you." To you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Hans just kind of goes. <sighs> Fine. What do you want? <laughs> I get it. He's actually kind of cool about it. He's like, you know, I can't have people coming in here, but I'll bring a sofa out to you. Yeah. There, yeah. there, is, there is a weird kind of sort of interplay and almost like a begrudging respect between the antagonists and the characters in this film. Even between Hans and John McClane. Yeah. There's kind of a, you know, like a, almost like a big brother, little brother kind of needling oh, totally. each other totally. a little bit. That's why the movie's so good, because yes. it's not just like a cowboy. Right. Even though he's he's got a certain swagger about him, he knows who he's dealing with. When he's on the radio, when uh, when Ellis when, is- And Ellis is in the office trying to negotiate, yeah. And he's like, shut up, Ellis. I know You don't know who you're dealing with. Yeah. I do. Hans, you know? this, this, this asshole does not know what kind of man you are, but I do. Right, exactly. And he was good. Then, then you'll tell us what we want. You'll give us our detonators. Yeah. Like so even when he's needling Hans, mm-hmm. right. he knows that he can get away with it because he knows that he can kind of be one step ahead of him right. somehow. Right, right. One other thing that I, I made a note of kind of shows the incompetence of the authorities. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when when it's funny because you know Powell has good instincts, even yes. though he's a desk jockey. You know he's off the streets because right. of the accident. He's a cop. He had. Yeah, he's a cop first and foremost. But he says, I think McLean's a cop. Maybe not LAPD, but he's definitely a badge. How do you know that? A hunch. Things he said, like being able to spot a phony ID. <laughs> <laughs> and Robinson goes, Jesus Christ, pal, he could be a fucking bartender for all we know. <laughs> it's such a tool. I don't think so, sir. <laughs> but what about the body that fell out the window? I don't know. Probably some stockbroker got depressed. <laughs> it's another one of my favorite lines. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff. Yeah, it's, it's it. just, you know. It's good. And when they're, when they're shooting at the lights, yeah. they're, they're shooting at us. And, they, and Powell goes, they're going after the lights. Yeah. And then they knock out one of the lights. And yeah. Robinson goes, they're going after the lights. <laughs> they cut to Powell, who just rolls his eyes yeah. like, well, this is such an asshole, yeah. this guy. Of course, the end, when, when they finally get out of the building and everything, and Thornburg goes up to the two of them, and he tries to get a comment from, from John McClane. <laughs> yep. And it's not him, but Holly that punches yes. him. And it's it's not a it's not a slap. No, it's she just, punches she him. falls off and just... Cold cocks him. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> well deserved. And then he goes, did you get that? <laughs> <laughs> did you get that? Argyle has a great line there. Yeah. It's, it's like one of your favorite lines. It's, it's right? the last line, last line in the film. He goes, you know, this is their idea of Christmas. I got to be here for New Year's. <laughs> it's great. And then uh, they queue up, uh, let it snow, let it snow. Yep. As it is, kind of, sort of, um, all the... Uh, uh, the paper right. from the business office yep. uh, is from the building is coming down. It's yeah. like literally snowing paper. Yep. For all of you who don't think Die Hard is a Christmas movie, there you have it. Think again. Think again. You it just think again. Great yeah. movie. Holds up. It's I love it. Yeah, timeless. Timeless. Yeah. Great, great movie. Tim, thanks for taking the time out to, to come in and record. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the next one. I know we have uh, some plans for 2016, a bunch of good movies. we got a lot on our list, man. Cool. And I'm, I'm excited to do all of them with you. So thanks to you for listening, and thanks to Kim'sVoice.com. That's K-Y-M-S Voice.com for this. Screen Facts with Jason Davis is a production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Visit JasonDavisVoice.com if you need a voice for a commercial, narration, promo, internet video, e-learning or training program, and more. Click on the podcast page to get information about where you can download and listen to past episodes. Listen again next Wednesday for a new episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis.